0: there we go all right today chapter 13 the king who had it all we're in the story 31 session walk through the entire bible of what's happening in the upper story you know god's plan unfolding uh, god enacting and doing his plan to bring us back into relationship with him And the lower story, dipping into different characters in the Bible and how they play their part in God's story as we look at Solomon today. You know, Solomon marks an interesting time in the nation of Israel because up until now they had been growing and becoming a unified kingdom under David. That is solidified under Solomon and his rule, a very prosperous nation under him as king. And Abraham, Moses, Judges, and now kings. The the time of the kings is a story of a united nation. But Solomon's story, we begin to see the sort of the the cracks begin to appear as this nation ends up becoming divided, which is what we'll look at from next week, um, where it's split into two kingdoms. Now, if you were with us last week, you would have gone with us through the davidic covenant god made an unconditional promise to david that the messiah would come from his line which is the line of who the house of the tribe of judah there we go some people are paying attention that's good the line of judah so no matter what humans do in the lower story jesus will come from the line of judah The family of David. That is the promise that that God gave David, that Jesus will sit on the throne of King David. So the promised Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah and sit on the throne of David. So it makes complete sense then when David dies that one of his sons sits on his throne one of his sons takes over from him succeeds him on the throne now david had several wives we're not going to get into that one today and he had several sons the one god chose to succeed him was not his older son but a son named solomon who was born to him from bathsheba yeah that one that one that's right bathsheba the woman who he committed adultery and then subsequently had her husband killed that's the one that he chose that god chooses to bring the next king of israel through the firstborn son died as a consequence of david's sin and you think that god would not choose a son from bathsheba but he does and so it serves as a wonderful reminder to us that god can take the mess that we make and turn it into something beautiful. Someone needs to hear that today. God can take the mess that we make and turn it into something beautiful. It, if we turn to him like David did, he will do the same thing for us. And, and we're privileged to still have the writings of King David which express the contrition and repentance before God. If you want to look at that, Psalm 51 is a perfect example, our prime example. Check it out this week. I really encourage you, add that into your, your readings this week, Psalm 51. But I want to have a look at the beginning of the call of Solomon. So this is in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 7 to 10. 1 Chronicles 22, 7 to 10. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son... "'who will be a man of peace and rest, "'and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. "'His name will be Solomon, "'and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. "'He is the one who will build a house for my name. "'He will be my son and I will be his father "'and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever.'" so god's upper story is completely intact and unfolding according to god's timetable but in the lower story as we dive into the lower story let's look at how solomon chose to live his life and the decisions that he makes so right off the back young king solomon is faced with a decision from god so i want to tell you that story it's found in the book of one kings in chapter 3 beginning at verse 4 1 king's Chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for what was the most important high place, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. That's a lot of animals, isn't it? A thousand. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said... But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realised that it had been a dream. What a remarkable encounter. I mean, I cannot often remember the dreams I had, but if I had a dream like that, that would stick with you i'm sure and a, mar- a remarkable encounter with god solomon asked for wisdom in hebrew the language of the old testament the word is Hokma. hokmah in greek the language of the new testament the word is sophia we name our daughters sophia don't we there's some you know people name their daughters sophia but seldom do we name them Hokma. Who knows, maybe some of you might be the first here in this room to name your daughter, Hokmah. Who knows? But for Solomon, what better question, um, so what, what, what was Solomon asking for? So we, we, we see this understanding of wisdom, right? Maybe an even better question to ask is, what is the wisdom that Solomon was asking for? See, it was, it was biblical wisdom, God's wisdom. And so uh, I'd like to outline uh, what I think um, biblical wisdom, a good definition is. So a good definition of biblical wisdom is the skill to constantly apply common sense with a discerning spirit learned from experience or trusted mentors filtered through the word and will of God leading to optimal success in life. So if you want to think about biblical wisdom, I think that sums it up. It's a very good encompassing statement that takes into account both God's thinking, our experience, and how we we actually activate and use our both spiritual guidance, the will of God, seeking his will, doing his will first, and also the common sense, the way that God's intricately made us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us helps. He's given us um, skill and, and, and our knowledge and experience in life. I think you put those all together, and that is a pretty well-defined statement. So wisdom is a skill. Let's, I just want to unpack this a little bit. Wisdom is a skill. It's not just about knowing the best thing to do. It's actually Doing it, it's a skill. You can be, you can't be a craftsman without actually doing your craft. You can't actually have a skill without doing it. So, since building our pizza oven in lockdown, twenty seventy one or two, or I don't know which number it was in twenty twenty anyway, we've had a lot of pizza, And, and. I'm I'm pleased to say I haven't ballooned out too much either. Um, We use our pizza oven roughly fortnightly and when it comes to making the pizza it's taken me some time to get it right. I I haven't quite gone down the path of weighing the wood yet but to get the right size fire I roughly know how much of a wheelbarrow now I need of, of wood and I know how big to cut them or how small to cut them as well. I have you know, developed a technique of lighting the fire so it's consistent and that it burns for about the same amount of time and, and then the temperature. So when we first started cooking pizzas, we were cooking them in like two minutes, right? Because it was so hot and, and I've even now got a, a, a temperature um, thermometer that I leave in the oven so I know how hot it roughly is when I'm cooking. And so they were getting pretty crispy and pretty, you know, tasty but a little bit black every now and then. So I've developed over time the skill of understanding how hot the oven is, how much wood, when to put pizzas in, when not to put them, how long to put them in, etc. All of that. Um, Like the first time we cooked pizzas in there, I was looking at all these YouTube videos and whatever else, you know, um, techniques on how to actually put the the pizza from the pizza peel into the oven on the brick and so i was like great okay put that in and the first three worked fine but the fourth one stuck to the pizza peel and i couldn't get it and so kelly's pizza unfortunately we did our own toppings that night um was really odd shaping because it stretched as i tried to push it off and it sort of yeah wasn't wasn't as great as i would have liked um but we've added our you know, try different things and have developed what I would say is is a little bit of a skill that only comes from doing it and from experience. So wisdom, if wisdom is a skill, it only comes by actually doing it and doing it consistently. The benefit comes through perpetually making good decisions. It's a bit like compounding interest. A lifetime of wise decisions produces great fruit. But how easy is it to make unwise choices though? Why are they seemingly so much easier to make than the wise decisions? Why is it the unwise ones are so easy? It's so easy to be foolish, isn't it? But to be wise isn't always easy, it's hard. But a lifetime of wise decisions produces great fruit, so it's worth trying. Biblical wisdom is common sense, that you either learn from your own life experiences or or better even, from carefully selected mentors, people you look up to, people you know personally, people you listen to or read about. I'd like to ask you a question who are your mentors do you have an answer and would would i be impressed with with your selection i don't know would you be impressed with your selection more importantly would god give you the nod for your choices of mentors see through my life i've had many mentors people I've reached out to and asked them to walk with me in life. I've asked them to impart what they have learnt, their wisdom from their experience in life and faith. Uh, I have sought out in different work environments, mentors who are experts in that field to learn from the best. And I guess in one way, that's, it's a form of discipleship, isn't it? You know, many times when mentors and I have opened the scriptures together, have asked what God is saying to us, where God is leading us, prayed together, shared our struggles and triumphs together. But not only have I been blessed from having mentors who have blessed my spiritual walk with the Lord, but I've also sought mentors in different areas of life. You know, working with within business, I would see people who were doing really well at the area that I wanted to try and learn and grow in because I realised I know nothing about uh, some of these, these things. And so I'd go and ask, people who are doing well. Um, like when it came to property investment, um, I learned from people who were really good at it. Um, I once had a boss who I was working for and he retired at age 25 to manage his 25 rental properties. He then went on to become a property developer himself and work in that business side of things. So, whilst he was my boss and I was working in retail uh, in the head office, do you think I picked his brain about what he did with his property investments? How did he get to that point? Of course I did. Now, he had a little bit of a different upbringing to mine. He may have been given the property by his parents at age 15 to get him started. I didn't quite have that same luck. Um, uh, So I didn't quite have that same leg in the door at age 15 like he did, um, but he then built to 25 properties by age 25. And so I learnt from him. Um, So when we moved from Tasmania to Adelaide, we actually kept a house in Tassie and put tenants in. And we would have loved to have done the same when we moved from Adelaide to Melbourne, but we needed to sell both of them to build a house. But having that investment property and and growing um, in, in, in that asset uh, and, and equity over time enabled us to then build a house that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford to do. So God blessed us in that and so we were able to access mentors um, and I was able to access their knowledge and their skills and get, get their input. I'd also meet with other business owners and industry leaders to glean from them and I'd, I'd read a lot of books. You know, Before I had to study and I had to read to, to do my study, I loved reading. Unfortunately, the joy sort of disappeared a little bit when you have to do something. And, uh, you know, when you have to do something, it's like uh, the bit of joy disappears, and that'll happen to me. But uh, I used to read a lot of books, and I've got some really great books um, that have have, have, um, grown me. I don't know, who are the mentors you do? How do you access those mentors? Yes, you can do it person to person, face to face. You can also do it by reading books. You can do it by listening to podcasts. You can do it by watching YouTube videos. Um, the, the, you know, if you want to know how to do something, some of the best people out in the world put tutorials on YouTube. It's amazing, amazing resource if you want to use it. There's also that, our, that aspect with our spiritual lives of accessing those great mentors for our, our walk with the Lord. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed this when it comes to common sense, though. It's not that common, is it? You look around at our world right now and you say, oh, everyone's got common sense. No, it's not common at all. And I guess one thing is why wouldn't we want to learn from people with more experience than us? Young people, the older generations are a treasure trove of experience and wisdom gained by years and there's no other way sometimes to gain that wisdom than by those years. So why wouldn't you go and seek out that wisdom from our older generations? They have so much to offer and I am sure that they are more than willing to share with you. But What's also true is that wisdom doesn't always come with age. You must be discerning because no matter what age, there is a propensity for folly i've met foolish old people as well Um, so that's a caveat i'm sure you've met them as well Um, no matter what age you can be foolish but solomon he was a man who god granted him great wisdom and so we would now look at some of these stories as almost being part of common sense but because they've been told already We've learnt from previous examples, and they've been written down for us to learn from, like this well-known example in 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 16. Solomon is holding court and is hearing the complaints of all the people that are brought before him. And two prostitutes come before King Solomon. They lived in the same building and both had babies who were just three days old. And the first claims that the other lady accidentally smothered her baby in the middle of the night and got up and switched babies and now claims the alive baby as hers. So who is Solomon to believe? He wasn't there. How is he supposed to discern this? So he applied common sense with a discerning spirit. He ordered one of the men to cut the alive baby in half and to give each woman an equal portion. One of the mothers said, okay. The other mother said, don't kill the baby, give it to her. Solomon discerned from this the identity of the real mother who would rather give the baby up than see her baby die. And this gives us insight for the option of adoption over abortion but there's another issue, which I, that, that is another issue I don't have time for today. But biblical wisdom is more than simple common sense. It is filtered through the word and will of God. But what does that mean? Right? It, it, it's important. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We know that from the scripture. He knows how life works. And he has created it and wired it a certain way. He has values and a vision that he wants to be, He wants us to be in tune with. So where do we find God's will? Well, it's found in his word. So the wise person tethers themselves to the scriptures, tethers themselves to the Bible. And there is a difference. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, seven. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground, but it's not popular wisdom. The fashionable... Sorry, there we go. Um... The fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out his best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. It's a great rendering of that passage from the message is that there's that deep Old wisdom. I have this little book that is made to look like a really old bound book from years and years ago. And it's all about Proverbs. It's got Proverbs after Proverbs after Proverbs in there with with some explanation, some encouragement, sort of like a devotional book. And it's called Ancient Wisdom. God's wisdom is ancient wisdom. But it's not irrelevant wisdom it's a big difference and i want to give you an example of solomon's wisdom he's writing from proverbs proverbs 3 verses 9 to 10 he says honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine i want to ask you How could giving away the first cut of the income you receive, even before you pay your bills, leave you with more in the end? That logic is flawed, right? It's completely flawed logic. How can you have more in the end by giving any of it away? It does not make sense. But the one who leans on worldly wisdom alone discounts the God factor. God watches how we honour him with money and resources that he gives us and then he intervenes on our behalf. This is a spiritual wisdom that sets it above conventional wisdom of the world which leads us to the last part of the definition. If you live this way, you'll put yourself in the best position to experience success in life. Anyone interested in a little success in life? Well, keep in mind God's success is holistic, and what God views as success might not necessarily be what we view success as with our worldly eyes and worldly lenses on. But it includes success in business and finances, and it extends to success in marriage and family, success in happiness, contentment, and peace. It includes success in things that matter most to God. Now, I want to talk to everyone who hasn't retired. You do not want financial or business success at all costs. You don't. You know, I've been around a ton of people who are uber successful financially, yet their lives are a wreck. Now, of course, who wouldn't rather be rich and miserable than poor than miserable, right? But neither is a good option. God calls his people to set their sights on something higher. Complete success in all areas. But there is a condition. God told Solomon this would all work out as long as he walked in it. And he did for the first part of his reign. But he got off track and he lost it. First, he kept adding wives to his harem. In 1 Kings 11, verse 3, we're told he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which are essentially legal mistresses. Now, that's like 999 too many and 999 too many mothers-in-law. Imagine how many presents he would have had to have bought on Mother's Day. Like, that's just ridiculous. But the number of wives and concubines isn't the real uh, problem here. From a human or worldly perspective, it seemed wise because Solomon was forming political alliances with other nations. That's how kings sort of shored up their, uh, their, their security with the nations around them. They'd marry children together. Um, and as obviously this king, King Solomon, he would, have, uh, he would marry the daughters of, of the other kings around him. And so that sort of secures that those sort of you know good favor right right however these foreign women worshipped other gods and eventually talked solomon into building temples for them and allowing them to worship them see this is a violation of which commandment the first you shall have no other gods before me god warned him of this very thing personally and when it comes to biblical wisdom this is foolish and as we will see next week it's going to divide the nation of israel one more thing this brand of wisdom biblical wisdom is something that we've actually got to ask god for it does not come to us automatically it's not automatic just because you are a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that God will automatically grant you wisdom. Solomon asked for it and God gave it to him and it served him very well in all aspects of his life. And the same invitation is open to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. James 1.5 so how many of us lack wisdom? Yeah, yeah. And anyone else, you, if you've got your hand down, you're displaying the fact that you need wisdom, right? You're displaying that you lack wisdom, all right? We could all do with more wisdom, especially biblical wisdom, especially wisdom from God. And God has given us instructions in the Bible on how to get it. Ask him for it. It's pretty simple. It's amazingly simple, in fact. If you're lacking wisdom, ask God for it. But if you're going to ask Him, then you have to be all in with your commitment and belief. It's the only way that He will give it to you. So the next verses in James tell us, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Do you want stability in your life to face whatever comes your way? Then ask God for wisdom. And even though it might seem strange or odd to follow the way God leads according to conventional wisdom, never discount the God factor. Be obedient to God's wisdom and guidance wholeheartedly and success is assured. God's measure of success is assured. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Today we come before you and we ask for wisdom. Lord, we ask for wisdom that seems so often counter to what we encounter so many times in our world. Lord, we ask that you would develop this within us, though. You develop within us the skill to consistently apply common sense with a discerning spirit learned from experienced and trusted mentors filtered through the word and will of God, leading to optimal success in life. Lord, that is what we want. We want to succeed in life as you judge success. And so, Lord, we ask that you would grant us wisdom. Grant us wisdom in our finances. Grant us wisdom in our relationships. Grant us wisdom in our marriages. Grant us wisdom as parents raising our children. Grant us wisdom in our workplaces. Grant us wisdom in how we serve you. And most of all, Lord, grant us wisdom in how we honour you. Lord, we do ask that you would place within us a heart of wisdom from you as we ask for it. And Lord, we pray that we would be unwavering in our commitment to you. We would not doubt, we would not be led astray, but Lord, we would be faithful to you every moment of our life we pray in your name amen well i hope that uh, that's been an encouragement to you this morning Uh, seek god's wisdom seek god's wisdom because god's wisdom we can trust over wisdom from our world And the reason we can trust God and his wisdom is because of who he is. He is a holy God. He is worthy of our praise. So why don't we close our service as we do worship him now.